Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Shane Trotter, the author of the new book, Setting the Bar, preparing our kids to thrive in an era of distraction, dependency, and entitlement. Shane is a writer, educator, and a strength and conditioning coordinator with a passion for youth development. He has a free weekly newsletter called Stuff They Never Told You that I highly encourage you to check out at inspiredhumandevelopment.com. In the conversation, Shane and I discuss discerning our path in life, the importance of setting standards, how to cultivate character, the obstacles to realizing our standards, the wisdom of reading, and so much more. I found my conversation with Shane to be an interesting one and hope you do as well. So without any further delay, I now bring you the wise and gracious Shane Trotter. Well, Shane, welcome to Insert to Wisdom. Thanks so much for connecting. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Josh. It's awesome to be here. I'm a, a big fan of of your book, Setting the Bar. So I'm uh, I'm excited to to get into it. You you covered a lot of ground in this book. It's it's apparent that you're well read and interested in a lot of different things. So I'm I'm curious to ask some questions around that. But before we get into it. I read in the book how you know your your dad was a philosophy professor. I'm curious how was it growing up with, you know, somebody in the house interested in in studying philosophy as as their profession. Uh yeah, my dad is uh, a <laughs> is an interesting character and uh that certainly had a lot to do with uh I would say my my well-rounded uh current state uh, where I'm a strength and conditioning coordinator, but I'm also probably the uh, most uh, academically inclined uh, nerdy uh, teacher in the <laughs> school, um, even though I'm not teaching a class at the moment anymore. Uh, you know, I, I believe in the academic discipline. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I just kind of have this, this very well-rounded sense of, uh, of what it means to be uh, a, a human to be an excellent human to, to uh, th- that you should be aspiring towards uh, to cultivating all sides of yourself. Uh, and so, yes, my dad was a, a, a doctoral philosophy professor. Um, was always the smartest person I knew, and that shaped dinner conversation and you know and, 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 and the, the way we debate everything. But he was also. Uh, he, he's a, he, he started out as an emergency room physician. Um, so he was an emergency room physician who then, uh, started working two 24 hour shifts a week so he could, uh, have the rest of the week to get his PhD in philosophy. And that then helped him shift into a, uh, a, a career in medical ethics, uh, and, mm-hmm. and actually disaster response. So, you know, after September 11th, he was, uh, he wrote a book and, and, and uh, about uh, it was called the ethics of coercion and mass casualty medicine, um, and so uh, very interesting. Yeah, he, he had a, a big political theory background as well. Um, he's uh, rather libertarian minded, although that's kind of evolved a lot too with with the tech conversation. Um, and you know, I always throw this on. He was also a diehard college football fan and a black belt in karate. So this is just a, a, a weird dude. He didn't fit in any box, and I don't think I do either. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. I was thinking about that of, you know, how old were you when you opened up a birthday present and it was Plato's Republic? Was it something, <laughs> something like that or what? <laughs> you know, it, sometimes I'm shocked by how little he, he pushed – things on me to, you know, as I've gotten older and I've gotten really into philosophy, uh, it's like, you know, why didn't we discuss this growing up? Uh, most of it, uh, we, we talked a lot of history cause I got into history. Um, but yeah, uh, 
he, he was, he was very well-rounded. Like I said, you know, my presents were, uh, football cards from him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, yeah. Well, let me ask about this, this interest in, in history, your, you know, your chosen path has been an educator at the high school level. I, something I think is, you know, is, is there a more important job? My, my wife is a, a lifelong educator as well. How did you discern that path? How did you know that that was for you? That's a difficult decision for so many of us. Yeah, I, uh, I was an athlete in high school, uh, and, and I, that was what I was passionate about, but around sophomore year of high school, Western Civ class, uh, there was a coach, he was a baseball coach, I didn't play baseball, but you know, he was already a cool guy to me, and he taught Western Civ, and, uh, and I was all, always into history, my, I guess it started earlier than that with, uh, you know, we had the president's placemats and the, the state's placemats, and my dad would quiz us on the president's uh, in order or the state capitals. So, so there was kind of that background where I was inclined to like this because I, I knew it. I had some hooks. Uh, but mm. I remember I couldn't wait to get to Mr. Kazi's class to find out what happened next in the story. And it was just the most amazing story ever because uh, it was true. And, uh, and, and that really sparked an interest in me that all, that... that carried on. I had such amazing high school history teachers uh, after that as well, and they were all coaches as well, and uh, so it, it hit both my, my passions, and so I looked at my, um, at, at my upbringing and who the most important and most influential people were, uh, and they were all teachers, so it was, it was really a no-brainer to me at that point. This is what I, 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 I knew I wanted to do. Um, and so, and that really helped me in college too, because I went into every class thinking, uh, not that I have to pass the class or, or I, I, I went into class thinking I have to master this. I have to t teach this and I don't want to just be any teacher. I want to be the teacher. I want to be the guy that, that, you know, ch mm -hmm. you know, changes, changes the trajectory of some dude's life. So, um, so that, yeah, that, that I, I was just activated by really great people. And uh, that made me very passionate about being the type of person who could do the same. That's awesome. It's a, it's a reoccurring question for guests on the show, something around, you know, how you discern your, your path in life. And that is a, a strong, consistent theme of, of some sort of, you know, professor at, a, at the freshman level or in high school, someone really modeling and, and having a passion in a particular subject. So I appreciate you, you sharing that the, this idea of, of setting the bar, I was hoping maybe we could start with just, you know, what do you mean by setting the bar? Could you give us a brief intro there? Yeah. So the, it can go so many different ways. Um, I think that you have to have very clear standards, uh, norms, standards, uh, and, 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 uh, more than just raising the bar, um, or, uh, it, the conversation around setting the bar, I think is really important too, to communities cultivating a shared sense of meaning and a shared sense of, of what wisdom is, what the right path is, what actually matters. So setting the bar uh, is important um, in, in that we have to set standards to drive behavior, uh, but also the process of setting the bar is essential for our communities, and it's not really going on. So I, I'll give you uh, some more concrete examples. Um, when there's a rite of passage, uh, communities rally around that. It establishes what the values are. You don't have to go through like a value-setting workshop. They're inherent in the rite of passage, and communities discern then what they have to make their their, their children capable of. Uh, when there are clear standards, a clear a, a clear task, a challenge that has to be overcome. Um, so you know. You see this very explicitly, um, in, to my view anyway, in uh, the quality of the generations we produced uh, for generations, start, 
after World War One. You have World War One. You have the Great Depression. You have World War Two. You have Korea, Vietnam. So there's this this sense that I have to create my my I have to create a citizen who's capable of uh, of keeping our country at this level, but also. Just personally, as a parent, I it, it's not going to be nice to this young man, this young woman, to uh, to, to make their life easy because life is never going to be that. I need to create the type of person who's going to be able to thrive through adversity um, because there are these clear standards. Um, is so 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 that that, that being one example, another th- there's a uh, a teacher at my school. He has a, a, a he, he said something to me at one point. Uh, that we've lowered the bar consistently, and this is this is what I've seen and, and, and was reacting to in large part with my book. But just in the time I've been teaching in the past eleven years, we have consistently lowered the bar and lowered the bar and lowered the bar, um, often uh, while while not giving ourselves permission uh, to state the obvious of what we're doing, uh, and by lowering the bar for some. Uh, and, and bringing our attention to that lowering of the bar, uh, it, we, we, we've brought down the, the net level of everyone. Um, and, and we justify this often, uh, you know, we'll say things, uh, oh yeah, but he's a good guy. Oh yeah, but he's a good kid. And I remember this, a friend of mine saying, saying, we say that about everyone. That's our cop out for everyone. But my bar for what a good kid is, my bar for what a good man is, has stayed consistent. It's could you date my daughter, and that's why it's important to have a bar, a real bar, uh, because it, it raises everyone's efforts up to a level. If you are clear and consistent, if my bar is for what a good man is, would I let you date my daughter? Uh, then, then yeah, I'm not so inclined to call everyone uh, a good guy, and that is a really, really powerful uh, rallying cry. Um, when, when we have these metrics we aspire to um, th- uh, and that we're afraid we'll miss, uh, then, then, then society rallies in that direction. You have to have the bar. The bar is the most important thing because it's what calls attention to what matters. And when that's not there, nothing matters or anything can matter to anyone and everyone finds themselves isolated and alone. Uh, so these are the fundamental conversations that communities have to have to thrive. It's a really interesting topic, and, and definitely it seems like a perennial one. But I want to stay with this idea of setting the bar, standards, expectations, and maybe talk about it individually. Because to me, it seems like these things happen both on an individual and you know culture, society type of things. How do you think about setting your own personal standards, expectations, and, you know, how might you advise someone to do the same? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think that you, it, it's, it's all about kind of your progression in life because I think at a certain point, you, you, you're probably familiar with the, the, what is your why, which, you know, the Simon, Simon Sinek that, that swept, uh, swept through the world, you know, and, and it's, it's powerful because when you know why you're doing things, when you, when you understand the, the, the deeper purpose behind ideas, um, <clears throat> that, that is motivating and that gets you to the next level. But I, I like to think of it, um, kind of as a progression and maturity. And at a certain point, your why doesn't matter anymore, uh, because you, you internalize that you're just the type of person who seeks excellence. Um, mm. it, what, what I would think of as a rete, um, if you've read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, that was kind of the, you know, the, the sense of, of what is the, the highest quality existence. Um, so yeah, like when you're young, you, uh, your why is I want to get good grades so I can get into a good college, right? Kind of more superficial. Uh, you know, you, you're in, in high school, college, whatever it is, you know, you notice that you've put some pounds on and all of a sudden your why is that you want to lose weight so you look better uh, or maybe so you feel better or have health. But at a certain point, you exercise consistently and there's no why, Um there, the, 
this is just something you do. It has become a habit of excellence, um, uh, a way of being. And uh, so to, to some degree or another, that is what standards – standards are the way to uh, to woo way, uh, to, to, to effortless uh, action, uh, <laughs> if that makes <laughs> sense. That, that, that is all the progression of maturity. Um, and, uh, and, it, and that is why they're so essential at a cultural level, um, because you'll never get to that point, in my opinion. So this is just individually – I don't think you ever get to a sense of effortless action where you, um, just as a way of being, you strive towards excellence and you're, and you have the ability to, to kind of discern what path is wisest. Um, cause that's super complex. I don't think you ever get there if there aren't first, uh, clear bars. It's, it's kind of, um, C.S. Lewis, uh, at some point he said something, uh, Along the lines of, I'd rather uh, I'd rather play cards with a uh, with a moral relativist, a moral relativist who is uh, raised with strong Christian ex- ethics, uh, than a uh, moral philosopher uh, because their intuitions had been trained. And and so I I, I kind of mm. think of it in, 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 as as a, a progression of maturity. No, I, I, I love it. And I have a, a note that maybe we can get to and talk about in, in the way of maturity, because it's not a word that is often used today. At, le- at least it's something I don't necessarily hear. But to stay with C.S. Lewis, I, I'm curious, you know, this um, idea, his book, The Abolition of Man, and, and this idea that there is such a thing as excellence. You know, how do you see that coming into play when it comes to setting the bar? You know, there has to be, is that an important role? Any thoughts there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, it, there, I think so much of this, this goes to, um, to when we decided to devalue character. And morality. You just said, you know, I'm, I'm referring to the to uh, the, the notion of maturity, and that is not something you hear often. It's a really interesting thing that you don't hear about terms like maturity, and you know, we replaced character, we re- we replaced that with responsibility. Uh, I'm sorry, not re- personality. Um, so, so we don't talk about a person's character; we talk about their personality, uh, and we've kind of. Uh, demoralize the entire world. And, you know, the, b- being a moralist is seen as a, a, a bad thing. Um, and, and in so doing, we've, we've taken the, the meaning out of a, so much, the, the routes to connection. You know, morality is, it's a social technology that has developed so that humans can connect and thrive in groups. You know, once you once you exceed Dunbar's number, 150, uh, you've got to have something gluing you together, and th- that's what this m- morality thing is. This amazing thing that has allowed us to thrive, and we're just seeing mass human uh, angst and meaninglessness without it, without a sense of what it means to live a good life, to be excellent, without anything to aspire towards. Um, and these things don't have to be. I think when people hear moralism and things like you know they 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 think of you know like purity and chastity and like uh, you're not allowed to drink or you know uh, you know sex is bad all this thing. and it doesn't have to be seen in these terms. Uh, it can just be, it can be seen in a broader you know human virtues are excellences to be cultivated and we want a, a you know a well-rounded human excellence. Uh, you know, what does it mean to live a good life? And that, that's a source of endless debate. You know, that is the process of setting the bar is figuring out what it means to live well. And, 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 and that process of just discussing that is important. But to have a sense of what matters is essential to any good life and any good, uh, person. Uh, you, you just can't, uh, you can't live well without it. it, it so I think, you know, it, it it can feel good. So much of this is immediate reward versus long-term reward. You know, it always feels good in the moment not to feel bad about yourself for, for coming up short. Um, 
but but when there is no bar, when we when, when we remove the opportunity to ever feel bad about yourself, everyone just feels isolated and alone, and no one has an incentive to draw to drive them to be something better. And there's never been a time when you needed more incentive to push you to cultivate yourself, because there's never been a time where there was more uh, I- impulse candy drawing you to just. To, to, to gratify your life away, you know, instant gratify your life away. Um, so I think that's important. I also think it's important to note that um, th- there's nuance here. It's not just, hey, you didn't hit, you know, I think a lot of times when people think of standards, they think about, they, they think of this kind of rigid approach to schooling where you sit in rows and, and, and you've got to get A's and um, I, I think it's, it's got to be a nuanced process, you know, setting the bar, meaning a community dialogue, too, where we're thinking about what matters and we're constantly, you know, evaluating these metrics kind of holistically. But, um, yeah, it, 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 the, the, the beautiful thing about honor cultures, so honor cultures have really, really clear uh, standards. They're, they have uh, honors. And they have shame. And these are mechanisms to pull behavior towards, uh, in certain directions. So, you know, I, I don't want Spartan type people who, um, who, who are Spartan and that, like the Spartans and that they are, uh, they don't empathize with people when they feel pain. That's not a good thing. You know, it, it, you're, you're, what you, uh, award prestige to though is what's going to pull people in certain directions. So um, I do want, I do respect that the Spartan, the Spartans would run into battle. They would rather, they would rather die in battle than miss a battle. That that is tremendous social technology that we have to take advantage of <clears throat> to pull people in a certain direction. And when we don't, when we pretend that. Uh, that, that we should just be neutral there. Well, then the only sources in society that are trying to pull human behavior in a certain direction become the marketers who are trying to get you to spend more time on a screen. So we have to take advantage of, uh, of the power of honor and shame to move people in certain directions. Uh, and, 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 and we have to dis- determine what it is that matters that should, should receive honors. Um, Otherwise, we're just going to, to, to isolate and die on our own. Mm. Not to be dramatic. It, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so interesting. I'm curious in your experience. Uh, I was thinking about this idea of there not being a bar. You know, there, there's not a standard. There's a lack of expectations. But yet, it seems we all have this inner desire to know how we're doing it seems like it would lead people to compare against the person to their left or right instead of against some sort of standard that is not there yeah yeah uh, um <laughs> it, it, I, I i think it's kind of the old you know it, we give everyone a uh, a trophy and uh and yet the kids all kept score they all know and they it, and they look at it and they think it's stupid uh, because everyone got it. Um, or you create the type of person that just plays the game and is always expecting something. So you get you get this this kind of all over the place. Uh, not not a great deal. Um, the, the Matthew Crawford he he wrote a great book called Why We Drive, and in it he uh, he he has a. a a, it's kind of a, an idea for a rank, uh, a rank, ranked driving si- system that was uh, displayed via via license plates, uh, where you know if you could, you know, as he says that if you could execute such and such super, you know, complex driving maneuver uh, and drive in a car that was the you know the the, the least shielded. Uh, style of car and thereby the lightest uh, and, and, and you know and most fuel efficient um, 
and had no distractions inside, such as, you know, radio or anything like that, if you were willing to drive that car and you could exercise this maneuver, you would get this super high grade of uh, license plate that ha- that had prestige around it, right? And, you know, and, and there would be all sorts of levels under that. And what that would do was rather than just one standard, you know, bland, here's your license, you got it, now we would all be aspiring to be better drivers, you know, a better class mm-hmm. of driver. And you could see it and there'd be social prestige around it in society. And we would be uh, far, far safer on the road because of this. You know, this is the, the, the sort of power that a, 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 a sort of honor uh, system um, can elicit. Um, and, uh, and so you can see how that, you know, that that sort of idea that obviously never going to happen, but but uh, it, it's it, it's the same with anything. You know, you give carrots and you give sticks, um, and it, it, if if you take away all, uh, it, honor, then basically you've taken away all taken away all the carrots in society, and all you have is sticks, legal punishment, uh, and that's not a very fun way to live at all. Yeah, let me ask about these these forces that essentially pull the pull the bar down um which seemed to show up you know individually across culture you know set a new year's resolution set a standard you you find out pretty easily that it it's difficult uh oftentimes to meet that standard that you set for yourself but you mention driving as as this example it, it makes me think of everybody's probably heard the study that you know, 90% of everyone thinks that they're an above average driver. (laughs) So, I mean, it seems like, you know, this idea that uh, maybe you'd classify it as a lack of humility or awareness is a, is a pull that wants to pull the bar down or maybe rationalize that a bar is not, not needed. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. It makes me think, this is this is the great thing about having actual um, you know, metrics that force you to be in contact with reality. Because mm-hmm. yes, that is. I've I, I recently read that study too. I think it was in. in, in I was reading Nudge again, um, and uh, that is the beauty of. Uh, of having something that actually pulls you into contact with the world. Matthew Crawford had another book um, called uh, The World Beyond Your Head, where he basically you know, creates a philosophy around the idea that you, what allows society to be connected, what allows you to be a, uh, you know, an aspiring, self-actualized person, is when you move beyond your head and you, you start to root yourself in the real world um, you get this through any skill acquisition or through learning any skill. So like, you know, I'm learning the guitar right now and, and you're, you're constantly forced to confront, uh, you're humbled and, and that's a good process to aspire to something, to be humbled and to, that's how you, uh, create the capacity to see nuance. But also it is how you create the capacity to connect with people. It's because you have things that, you have shared passions and f- shared experience. You know, any guitar pa- player knows that uh, another person who can play the guitar has gone through some of the same angst and growing pains that they have. And that's really how we connect with people is by seeing uh, a, a shared uh, experience and a shared uh, life and worldview, a worldview that's only capable of being, uh, uh, ca- that, that you can only have uh, after you've gone through uh, some some sort of uh, process. Um, you know that's the, that's the beauty of a rite of passage. Societies are connected when they have a rite of passage um, because you know those rites of passage not only establish the values that the society should care about, um, but they 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 put everyone through a shared set of circumstances that 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 are kind of a a pillar uh, to connect upon. Um, so. Yeah, what's lowering the bar? There, there's a number of uh, of things. Uh, it, 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 it. I think it's very rooted in this moral relativism, where we don't talk about character, we don't have shared standards. Uh, you know, the 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 advertising industry has been uh, 
I think that the most influential factors are are, are the, the the twin development of advertising uh, slash marketing and technology. You know, technology um, makes everything easy. It it it's magic. It doesn't you know things that you would have once. 150 years ago, there's no way to listen to beautiful music other than to learn how to play it, uh, mm. period. Um, or to be, uh, to, to, to know people who know how to play it. But so the incentives in your life to cultivate yourself and to become a musician are far higher. Therefore, far more people would go through the, the growing pains to do so. Technology makes everything easy. We can all listen to music with at the push of a button. We can all we you know we can all get access to an algorithm uh, that that is going to learn to deliver us the music we like at a quicker and quicker pace. And I I don't mean to bemoan Pandora or Spotify. I mean they're wonderful things, and I don't I'm not going to limit them in my own life. I just think it's very important to have a a conscious uh, to be conscious of of the what technology does to our lives uh, or can do to our lives it can it can give us it's magic it gives us all these things that we inherently want without us having to do the work to get them so it removes the incentive for us to become anything better for us for us to be any way more capable and that's a really awful thing if you believe like I do that self actualization is the route to happiness that cultivating yourself uh, is the route to happiness. Um, it, it's the route to to higher quality pressure, uh, high, high, higher quality pleasures, and it's the route to higher quality relationships because you can connect on a deeper level. So if we have these devices that that remove all the in natural incentives to become something something more, something more capable, all right, something that that that, that just objectively can do more in the world, uh, and in fact incentivizes us to uh, disengage from the world and mindlessly, you know, fall into mindless loops of scrolling and passive engagement. Uh, uh, um, that is a terrifying thing. Uh, in my mind, uh, you know, the the vision in Wally is uh, is uh, really appropriate uh, to what is the trajectory of humankind today. So the 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 warped, uh, you know morbidly obese kind of devolved humans who are being pulled along uh, by by their little tech techno wheels as they stare at screens and are you know fed excessively and just constantly have every impulse satisfied the second it comes about but you know they, they fall out of their ship and they they can't get up off the ground uh, that is an obvious exaggeration but it 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 strikes at the trajectory i think most of us feel and so we have to have some sort of forces pulling us up. Um, and uh, as much as your, uh, you know, as, as much as Weight Watchers might feel like such a thing, when it's just you counting points for yourself, that's very unrewarding. The, 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 you know, we are social creatures, and the real forces to pull us up are other humans with shared sense of values. I'm curious to to talk about this idea of rites of passage that you mentioned a couple, couple times, but I want to say something on, you know, every, everything that you've been talking about here recently, it sounds a bit, you know, if someone listening might be, uh, have a bit of skepticism or anything like that, the, you provide a tremendous amount of stats in the book. And, and one thing that is just alarming that everyone should be aware of, I think, is this, uh, the idea of, of suicides. You, you mentioned that between 2010 and 2015, the number of suicides for adolescents age 13 to 18 jumped 31%. I mean, just something that is probably not talked about enough. It's something that I, I would imagine most people are, are not aware of. How do you think maybe a rite of passage or, or something like that could come into play to, to help. Do you, have you ever have any thoughts about how you might do that? And I'm also asking out of curiosity as a, as a parent with young children and things like that. Yeah. You're uh, it's tons of thoughts right there. Um, the, um, the, 
the best research on suicides, uh, you know, it goes back to Durkheim, who, who saw that people, uh, when, when people, when there was high levels of enemy, meaning people weren't connected by common values, suicides went up. Uh, when there, when there was a, uh, highly connected, similar values, similar norms, uh, integrated, connected cultures where people, um, you know, shared values, but also shared institutions. They shared things they cared about. They worked together. Suicides went down. So isolation is death, basically, uh, the idea there. Um, and, and, and Sebastian Younger's book, uh, Tribe, does a great job of explaining this as well. Um, you know, he has, he has a quote in there, something to the effect of, uh, humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not uh, not feeling important, not feeling mm. necessary. And the modern world is uh, amazingly effective at making people not feel necessary. And you look around, you know, there's all these, again, technologies, efficiency, that, that, that is what is billed as progress at all times. Technology, efficiency, progress, safety, 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 safety. Safety is always the number one thing. Um, you know, I think of a brave new world, uh, you know, John the Savage, he's like, no, 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 these are the things I want. These are the things that make life <laughs> worth living. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, like, you know, when there's no AAA and your car breaks down, you rely on people to, you know, to, to stop their cars and to help you out. And, um, and, and that creates a society of people who tend to help people out, uh, and is thereby more connected, um, and feels, feels needed because everyone depends on everyone in society. It's just what the community does. And that world's not coming back, but it's important that we start to notice these things and value these things, uh, as much as we value safety and efficiency, uh, and that, they, and that we're able to, to put them, uh, to, to create a defense for these things that can weigh, that can be, uh, that can counterbalance the pull for ever more safety and efficiency because the most safe and efficient thing in the world is for you to just be passively led through your life. Um, so yeah, and, and that's one of the things that, that again, back to tribe, Sebastian Younger found is that across the board in disaster situations, there tends to be this, you know, there's a disaster battle of Britain being a great example. So, you know, that London is bombed. Uh, for, for, for months straight by the Nazis. And the assumption is that, oh, mental health is going to crumble. But the opposite happens. They, they, they beefed up all their, their mental health infrastructure to handle all the depression, anxiety, everything that would go along with the death and the destruction and the, you know, lost homes. But the opposite happened. It, mental health disorders became non-existent for a while. Because everyone was rallying together. Everyone felt purpose. Everyone felt meaning. Uh, and that is what humans crave so much. Uh, so again, you know, as Younger says, it's not hardship we mind. In fact, we thrive on it. Um, you know, it's, it's not feeling necessary that is so, uh, soul crushing. Uh, and even the same thing was he, he found as a war reporter, uh, during the, uh, Slobodan Milosevic and the, uh, the, the, the Bosnian genocide. Uh, he's found the same thing in, uh, he's been a war reporter, uh, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, he's seen a lot of, uh, uh, amazing, uh, research, uh, on, 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 uh, combat veterans, uh, to say the same thing. You know, it's not the coming back home. What, what makes the PTSD rate so high for us isn't that, um, uh, that that our soldiers it's not necessarily the war uh experience although that is traumatic uh you know in the ptsd rate is way lower in israel where everyone's a soldier and they've seen far more combat and the reason is because they come back home and they feel connected to people because everyone else in society has been through it too so they're they're immediately understood versus coming back and being shoved into a world where they feel like they're they're aliens somehow um, so all, all of that is to, to say that, that we need hardships, um, and, and our hardships, uh, give us contact with reality. So a very clear sense of our own competency and also a clear sense of the need for us to cultivate our own competency. And they give us confidence to go into future adversities as well. So these are essential things, um, 
and, and, and we don't want to wait till too late to expose our, our children to challenge. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be overwhelmed by it. Uh, and it's, in fact, cr- cultivating the ability to uh, tackle challenges and want more challenges is the best thing we can do. But they have to, they have to weather small challenges early on or they won't be able to get there. So, yes, you have to give them rites of passage. This gives them a sense, you know, this gives young children a sense of the type of person they should aspire to, um, you know, what matters, um, and, and, and it gives them a sense of, of, of true confidence going forward. Um, you know, one of the easiest things, so, so I, in my book I write about, you know, chapter four is the danger of overprotection. And uh, I compare uh, the, 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 you know, are you ready for, for first grade checklists of the modern world, which is all, you know, you know math and, in, you know, reading based to the uh, 1979 textbooks, or, or, sorry, a youth development book, uh, there are you ready for first grade checklist. And the checklist, uh, I forget what number it was on there, but it's all actual, you know, maturity. Can you tie your shoes? It's, it's real world stuff. It's, 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 uh, are you becoming an adult basically? Not, not yet academic oriented, but, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, on, on the list, one that stands out was that, um, is your, you know, are you ready for first grade? Can your kid, walk four to eight blocks in the neighborhood themselves to a friend's house uh, and to a store to get the family uh, groceries, basically. And this is the expectation of a six-year-old. Um, and, and so we've gotten so far away from that. Uh, so I think that a great thing that parents can start to think about doing right away is to create um, a progression of rites of passage that make their that give their children... Uh, worthwhile goals that are indicators of true competencies and new levels that they're hitting, uh, so that they feel a real sense of confidence and empowerment in the world. Uh, and what, you know, the first one is just that. Um, you know, I, I have a five-year-old and I've expressed to my wife, you know, we're down the road from a CVS. I'm going to start. Uh, we, we do limit screen time significantly, but Sunday night is movie night and, uh, I, I, I've said to my wife, we're going to start walking down to the CVS. It's about, uh, you know, a half mile, uh, and renting a, uh, a red box movie every Sunday night. Ace and I are going to start doing this. And before first grade, he's about to go into kindergarten. Before first grade, uh, he's going to get to do that by himself. Um, and so that is a, a real life example of what that might be. Um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, why am I, Lenore Skenazy, uh, who, you know, she's one of the founders of the Let Grow movement, um, uh, the free range kids movement also. Um, she was famously dubbed the world's worst mom for letting her kid, uh, ride a subway when he was eight or nine, I can't remember, in New York City to get home. And she wrote about it. But, but she's, she's done an amazing job citing just how safe things are and what the cost benefit analysis is when you don't let your kids develop these vital uh th- these vital skills of 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 self competence and self reliance um so yeah i think you can do you can establish and and families should families and communities churches schools should really think about establishing a a a consistent continued maybe annual set of objectives that they set for their landmarks, that they set for their kids on the way to becoming an 18-year-old adult. And that is so important. When you believe that 18-year-olds are adults who should be capable of all these, uh, all these skills required of adulthood, then you go about parenting in a very different way. And I don't think that has been the thought process for a very long time. And our kids suffer for it. Because they turn eighteen and they want all the all, all the all, all, all the entitlements of adulthood without any of the responsibilities, and they don't get that these things come hand in hand. Um, and because of that, they're not truly free. 
um, and uh, and they don't know who they are because you you know who you are when you face challenges and when you've been hidden from challenges your whole life you truly don't know who you are or what you care about you have not been exposed to the triggers that would activate you and indicate what your passions are so uh, a succession of you know a consistent succession a battery of rites of passage I think is a really important thing for parents and communities to start to establish for themselves. I know I'm starting to establish the same for for myself. I'm working with elementaries in in, in my neighborhood. Um, I, I've got a couple schools that are going to do a pilot program, uh, and so hopefully you know that's the sort of thing I think parents have the power to do if they if they really grab that mission by you know, grab that bull by the horns. But, uh, it, 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 just one last example, um, that, uh, might be useful is, you know, I don't, boot camp would be a very clear rite of passage, but, you know, clearly we don't want to, uh, to, to just have war to have war or have everyone go to boot camp to, to go to boot camp. But, uh, General Stanley McChrystal has an idea of a universal, uh, service year that would be a rite of passage. Uh, and, and, and he's worked, you know, he, he's working to try to make that a standard. Now, I would imagine if it ever did come to, you know, come to fruition, it would uh, only be a fraction of what he would really want. But it's a powerful idea, the, the fact, you know, and, and it makes a lot of sense given when you start to look at what college is right now and how unprepared most of our 18-year-olds are to go into, uh, to make that sort of investment in education, uh, how powerful it would be to have a, uh, a standard or or a, a norm where it was fairly normal for 18-year-olds to enter themselves into a voluntary service year where they get shipped somewhere across the country where they're learning, uh, to they're meeting people uh, of a completely different part of the country. They're being, you know, and they're working on projects, whether it's retraining people in, in careers that have gone away or rebuilding uh disaster zones or, you know, things that have been hit by tornadoes, whatever it might be, you know, it, being a role model to students who uh, maybe come from a one-parent household where that parent is working all the time, there's so much need in the community. Uh, and, and and if there was that, that, that service year, you can imagine what that would do to the, the sense of connection amongst people uh, in this country right now. I think it would be a profound experience. That's awesome. I I love it. I want to ask about. I I tend to think of the of the pull like this idea of overprotection. You know, it's it's it, it seems like fear comes into play for a parent. But you mentioned something that I think is such an important point of getting into the to the facts of how safe it really is, or maybe it's the other, but at least at least investigating maybe that initial thoughts of fear and feelings of, uh, of fear and worst case scenario things that come up. Cause how do we over overcome that and navigate through? But what about this, the view and belief of, of suffering? Don't you have to adopt a, a view or maybe it's a worldview or perspective that hardship, you know, the pros outweigh the cons. Yes, uh, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the juice yeah. is worth the squeeze <laughs> of the concept, right? So, you know, the, uh, the things are, think, things aren't sweet if they're automatic. If you work for something, you care. I think the only way to care is to invest yourself. So, so often we're waiting for inspiration. Uh, inspiration does not strike. Sometimes we watch a great TED talk and we're super inspired for five minutes. <laughs> but more often than not, it is through effort that you find care. If you want to care, if you want to have things you care about, if you want to have meaning, purpose, uh, a sense of life and vitality, uh, then you have to invest energy. Um, you have to invest effort. That is when you grow to care about things. You know, uh, and, and, and so you can find that in every, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, if any any football player has been through two a days, you know, that is how you beca became so close to those people you you went through two a days with. Um, you know, anyone who's worked hard to have a skill and now they teach it, or you know that they're passionate about it. Well, it's because they invested the energy that they care so much. Um, 
Marriage, my goodness gracious. Uh, it's something that we do not understand well uh, in, in our, our, our pop culture view of of uh, world. You know, the, the, the standard model everyone's told of, you know, lifelong love, the fairy tale, and this, that, and the other thing. Um, marriage is the most amazing thing I've ever gotten to do. Uh, I've learned, uh, I, you know, I love my wife like I never could have understood you could love a person, uh, particularly when we decided mm-hmm. to get married. Um, marriage has been the most, uh, I've matured so much, you know, this, you know, talk about wisdom. I've come and been pulled. Talk about something that pulls you to develop yourself and pulls you up a bar I've been pulled to more self-development and self-reflection and self-understanding through living my life with this woman than anything mm. else in my life. Um, it, you, you, you cannot, I don't know if you can truly know yourself until you've <laughs> married someone. I mean, truly, uh, you're just, you're constantly forced to reflect your own weaknesses and, and, and to understand human nature. Uh, marriage and, and raising kids are, are, are such a, um, a, a a good window into that world. I love it. That, that's beautiful. Let me stay on the on the marriage thing. It's it's apparent in in reading setting the bar that you're extremely well read. How do you think this practice of, of reading and taking in all sorts of different perspectives from you know, research today, obviously you're interested in, in history. How do you think that shows up in a marriage or in relation with others? The, uh, it really reminded me of an Eleanor Roosevelt quote. Uh, I, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but something to the effect of um, average people talk about um, people or, um you know, normal people talk about, or, you know, above average people talk about events and things, uh, and great people talk about ideas. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, marriage is all about values, is what you find. Um, and there are going to be things, uh, I think another part of being married is learning the differences between men and women and differences between people and that everyone is not just like you. Um, so there are things that you, 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 you just come to accept too, that, that, you know, you don't have to be carbon copies and your values don't, and interests don't have to be carbon copies and you can accept that and just support the other. But, um, yes, at the, at the end of the day, uh, you, certain things like reading are probably going to be important to both of you. Um, so, you know, certain things like, uh, like your, your, your definition or, or, or sense of what it means to live a good life are probably going to be similar. Uh, what you believe money should be spent on, uh, what things are of value for your time, for your money, um, are, are going to have to be similar. Um, and so I think that's that that's obviously reflected in in in, in reading. Uh, you know, you, there's all these ideas buzzing mm-hmm. around your he- your head. You're going to w- want to talk to someone about them. You, uh, but more than that, you're going to be really frustrated if you don't get to to apply them in your life. Um, and uh, it, it, and to 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 live a life where you're cultivating yourself um, and have kids and be and be married uh, requires some sacrifice. Um, that, that both sides need to be, you know, to understand if it, it's hard to be healthy if your wife or husband does not value health too, because the meals are different because it's seen as an obligation to spot the kids while the other work exercises or, or whatever it may be. Um, whereas if, if you both va- have a value for these sorts of things, these, it's just, it's, it's just self-care. It's, it, it's like, well, obviously we're going to, these are things we're both going to do. We're both going to, to, to want to eat these, these meals. We're both going to, to have a time each day where we're going to exercise and we're going to understand the other person's schedule. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, if, if you want people to mature, um, you know, 
being committed to their marriage is a you know, real commitment to the marriage too. You know, uh, it, it, a willingness to persist when it gets hard because mm. it does. Um, it, you want to really throw a wrench in your life at kids. <laughs> you think you got your marriage figured out? Throw some little ones in there. How do you see this idea of, of maturity and flexibility connecting if you do? Yeah, I absolutely do. And this is so, and it's interesting. So I think people hear the word standards, uh, and they tend to think of, of, of kind of, uh, mapping out the world and having this clear kind of regimented plan. And I think it's just the opposite. It's creating a level of competency mm. in people so they can adapt to the infinite complexity out there. Okay. Um, there is no roadmap. We can't try to create societies that, that account for every possible, um, that have such a sophisticated legal system that they can always make things completely fair uh, or that account for every possible uh, safety hazard or anything like that. I think that's absurd. Where we should be putting our emphasis is creating people who are competent enough to live in this world and adapt in this world. Um, so, so that is, you know, standards create a capacity to deal with complexity and uh, mm. infinite chaos, which is reality. Um, you know, there, there's there's a talk right now. Elon Musk has bought Twitter, and there's a lot of talk um, I, um, about you know the the extent to which we should uh, be be monitoring and uh, and penalizing speech on on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah. I, I, what we what we should really be technology is going to continue to throw such complex challenges our way uh it, it's going to be crazy uh the, the the world we're living in is just it's just going to be defined by uh unintended consequences and uh new new challenges that we could have never predicted so the only sensible in my mind uh we, we can't try to I think that there are common sense legislations. Um, but beyond that, the emphasis has to be on creating people that are competent enough to live in this world. Uh, and, and, and there's never been a world that requires greater competency, uh, at least to be in any way, shape or form fulfilled. Um, you know, when there's infinite information, you have to be able to discern what sources are worth your time? And it's probably a hell of a lot less than you think. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, you know, wisdom, the ability to discern where your time, where your energy, where your eyes go is more necessary than ever. Uh, so standards aren't, aren't meant to dictate a path and try to pretend we can map out and we can game this, this complex chessboard uh, in, in such a way that, that, that nothing bad is going to happen or that we solve all the issues. Um, it, standards are meant to make humans. Humans are the only thing sophisticated enough to adapt to the infinitely complex game board that we're presented mm. with. It, it's so interesting. Our, our time has flown by. I, I could chat with you for uh, a, a very long time. But let me wrap it up with... Um, a question that I've, I, I want to touch on. I, I imagine some of these topics are, can be difficult to talk about and, and maybe difficult to be understood. You cite Angela Duckworth, uh, the author of Grit in the book. Love, love that book. And I, I like the work that she's, that she's up to in the world. But she talks about this idea of these seemingly contradictory ideas. And in the book, she talks about, being both demanding and supporting. And it's a strange thing, this this tension, this polarity with a lot of the subjects that we've talked about. You could say it's this, but then you could also say 
you know, it's that. Should should you be demanding? Yes. Should you be supportive? Yes. But we can tend to only want to see, it seems like, one particular path. We we just have this idea of, of supporting or demanding in our mind. How do we broaden our perspective and hold some of these um, tensions at the same time? Yeah, and, and I think that gets back to, to reading and being the type of person mm-hmm. that wants to learn. You have to... You have to, if you're not a lifelong learner or the type of person that is jazzed up to learn things uh, and integrates that into your life, then then the modern world is not going to be fun for you, I'm afraid, um, because we have to start to see the nuance. Uh, there is, you know, the paradox is almost always where the truth lies. Um, and it's, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, sometimes it's not, as you understand things better, it's not paradox as, as, as so much as it's balance. Um, so I was really careful and concerned while writing that that this you know that the basic ideas of you know being critical of of the you know comment co- the current youth development paradigm as I call it uh, would be interpreted as kind of a get off my lawn or justification for. For the harsh, uh, you know, we're just gonna put these kids in their place, you know, quiet, you know, whatever. Um, I don't believe in that. Um, demanding and supportive go hand in hand. And, uh, though I believe that academic standards should be way higher than they are currently in public education and that we should expect far more effort out of the average public school kid, uh, I also believe that the average public school kid we have to honor the human being that they are, the human needs, get them moving, get them up, teach them in ways that honor who they are. So things are super complex. Um, and, and though I believe that there are standards that we have to aspire to, there's nothing I find more disgusting than the prep school path where we're just obsessively, uh, you know, kind of tiger momming our kids into, and to achieve, 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 achieve with no sense for what their actual purpose, passion is. Um, so another way to look at this, you know, you, you said it, uh, Duckworth, uh, Carol Dweck is great. Uh, and, and she talks about, um, creating a, a growth mindset. And that's a buzzword that, that gets a lot of play. Um, growth mindset basically means that you, you perceive yourself as as uh, flex as as capable of being improved, uh, you know that that you're not a fixed state. Uh, your talent isn't fixed. You can improve any your situation at any time. Versus a fixed mindset, which is that you know I am this good at this, this good at this, um, and uh, the, that's something that I would I would encourage everyone to even exaggerate their belief in uh, to a point where they overestimate. How much uh, control they have in the world, because uh, that kind of has a a self fulfilling effect. Um, but the way to getting kids to be growth minded, to actually want to aspire and work harder, to be interested in the things they learn, um, is to praise their effort, not their outcome. And so this is really subtle, and you know, it kind of strikes at the nuance you want. Um, you don't just want to say, hey, we have these, the, these bars that we've set. You want to say, hey, th- this is the bar. It's going to be hard, but I know you can do it. And look at you. Look at this great effort you've given. Th- keep that up. You're going to do it. Um, it's not to shame people into submission when they don't uh, hit a certain level because that's to put too much emphasis on the outcome. Um, again, when people... So, so the Carol Dweck study she showed was basically when you praise students for how smart they were, and then you presented them with, with harder, uh, harder challenges, harder math problems, or whatever it was, they would shut down because they were praised for being smart when it was easy. So their assumption is that they're not smart when they are not uh, not getting the questions right as easily, or when they're getting questions wrong. So then they want to hide from anything challenging, and they want to just do things that are easy that they know they'll be successful at. Well, there's no greater greater path to misery and, and, and stagnation. Um, but if you praise effort, and that is where you put all your emphasis all the time, then 
kids, you know, and you're, you're constantly seeing the effort in kids and you're only putting your attention there, uh, cause that's all that they can control. Then, uh, that is how you're going to get someone that is truly going to reach their, their own potential. Um, so that, that again is, um, I think, a, a really good example of the, the nuance in these subjects. It's not just, hey, we have to have higher expectations. It's we have to have high expectations, be supportive, recognize where they are, recognize the, the you know, the infinite number of factors that might have uh, determined where they are right now and then put them on the, you know, what is the, the, what is the lesson they need now to become the best version of themselves? So I, I think the entire philosophy is rather complex, um, and seeking complexity, not simplicity, is 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 the, the 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 better path. Well, I love it, and I love the passion that you that you have for this. Uh, I highly recommend uh, Carol Dweck's book. That is an absolute must read, and yours is as well. Again, the reminder uh, to the listeners: the book is "Setting the Bar." We ran into some technical difficulties and unfortunately lost the tail end of the conversation. A big thank you to Shane Trotter for coming on In Search of Wisdom. I encourage you to connect with Shane at trottershane.com and pick up the book, Setting the Bar. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.